Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today I'm going to be interviewing Kivank Asiner. I think that's how you pronounce it, but I'll find out later on. But before we get to that interview, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? Look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. This high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and 8 layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried and true powerhouse machine comes with a 5-year limited warranty and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. All right. I'm on Skype with Kivanch and Danielle, and the last name is Alsener. Is that it? Aslaner. 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 Okay. There, you, you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, and you guys went and decided you're going to go live the dream. And you've got some stories to tell about how you bought your boat. First of all, let's get to know a little bit about you, Kavanch and Danielle. How did you guys get into sailing, learn how to sail? Where are you located? Tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. Sure. Um, this is Danielle. I can start with that. So we're located in the Bay Area, California. And about 13 years ago, um, I actually got a gift certificate for Kavanch to a sailing club here called um, Olympic Circle Sailing Club. And he had been talking about, uh, you know, being interested in sailing for a little while. And I thought, you know what, why not just take some lessons and do it? So bought him that gift certificate. And that basically set the, the yeah. course for, for where we are today. Yeah. And yeah, again, that was about 13 years ago. Yeah. So France, um, growing up in, in Istanbul, Turkey, I was always, in, you know, intrigued with the with sailing. But um, I didn't really have the opportunity, you know, back in the days. I don't know if it is the same now in Turkey, but um, this it was an expensive support, and you didn't really have um, the the opportunities that uh, you know places like Bay Area offers. Um, so, you know, I was here, and um, Danielle and I we got married, and I was always interested in it, but it was always a distant dream, and I was always talking about it, never dreamed of doing it actually. And um, I think it was maybe 12 years ago or so. Um, she, it was my birthday, and she showed up with this um, gift certificate from from a from a sailing school. 
And I said, here we go. You keep talking about it and just do it. So um, that's how all this started. Quite a few listeners of mine of this podcast are in the Bay Area and also contributors as well. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, and I've sailed in the Bay a few times and uh, a great place to learn how to sail. You've got uh, a lot of places you can go, both in the ocean and, and in the bay, that uh, are, are great places to learn to sail. So Definitely. And you deal with all the elements, the tides, the fog, heavy winds. Um, you know, it is a superb place to learn and kind of get the basics and, you know, grow into sailing for sure. Yeah. yeah. So now you started by taking some lessons what was the next step at that point in time? Did you start chartering boats? Did you just get on with crew on other boats? Where did you go from there? Well, um, you know, I I believe the sailing clubs are really like great way to uh, to intro into into sailing. What did happen to us was, you know, as you go through your classes, the club lets you charter boats from like smaller boats such as like J twenty fours and such. And um, and you grow through your certifications, you get access to more boats uh, that you can charter in the club. And that's that's basically what we did. And I started first, and I start going my, through my certifications and start chartering boats like day charters in the bay. Um, and I think probably a year later or so, Danielle started taking her lessons, and um, she she started chartering. She had actually her own um, like women's sailing um, group. group that all women uh, sailors get together and charter a boat in the bay for a day. Um, so that was kind of the the eye opener for us, where we started you know, doing the day charter and the weekend charters within the bay, outside of the gate, going to the Half Moon Bay or the Drake's Bay, um, anchoring for a night and coming back. And uh, that was kind of the intro of like how a, a, a cruiser lifestyle could uh, look like. Um, but you know, back in the days, <clears throat> it wasn't our wildest dream to buy a boat and and uh, you know start start this cruising style. Uh, but uh, I think over the years, what we did, right? Uh, what we did was uh, we chartered, we started doing destination charters, and that was kind of like our where our minds start shifting against, oh, I mean, maybe this is something, a lifestyle, something we can do uh, moving forward. Yes, well, when you're when you're chartering on a vacation in the warmer climates like the Caribbean or the Med, it's, it's a definitely a different experience than the Bay Area. And yeah, you can, <laughs> you can appreciate the good weather, the good cultures, how that can become a, a fun lifestyle. And so to Kavancha's point, that's sort of what made our minds shift and think, whoa, this, this could be a really unique way to, to spend a few years or more. Yeah. So I think it's, that's when it kind of happened and we started to put ourselves on a sailing like plan and budget to sort of um, get ready for this. Well, yeah. talk, let's talk about how you went about laying the foundation for the eventual boat purchase that you did this year. So, uh, do you, I mean, talk to us about the budgeting process and what your, what, what in your mind led to this, this achievement of a goal, which is a big thing. Um, I think it was probably six years ago, friends, we like started like seriously, uh, considering getting a boat and maybe take doing a sabbatical for three or four years from our work. Um, and then, you know, Danielle and I have sat down and said, like, okay, what kind of boat do we need? You know, how long are we going to be gone for? Um, what will our, like, monthly expenses should look like? 
And, and we came up with a number um, and said, okay, here's the number. Um, let's start an investment uh, account and uh, start saving. So it took us about five years. And, you know, we put a little money every month here and there uh, to grow that account uh, to hit that number. And I think it was um, – and during the time, you know, the, we, our original sale plan was uh, to leave Bay Area, go to Mexico – and do the bahahaha to to Mexico and, and maybe sail in the French Polynesia, but um, we did the charters and the and, and the Caribbean and the Mediterranean, and then our sailing plan shifted. Oh, maybe we should buy the boat in Caribbean and do like some island hopping. And later we did the charter in Mediterranean, and we were like, oh, the boats are cheaper here. Maybe we should start from the Mediterranean. So all that um, you know stuff like kind of um, adjusted our plans on the go, but. Um, the, the long story short, I think about five. Uh, so last year we hit that number uh, that we were planning for to to do this, and I think it was in uh, February we were ready to go, and we actually finalized the deal on our boat purchase in uh, in Croatia. But right after that, the the COVID hit, and we weren't able to travel. So we've been We've been pushing this dream for an extra year, and now it's about time for us to leave, and then everything is set. So the board is ready, waiting for us. We bought it. We're more than ready. Yeah, we're more <laughs> waiting, than ready. Waiting, waiting. <laughs> and, um, she's she's birthed in in, in, in Croatia, um, so we finalized the deal in September, flew back there, uh, and met the previous owner. Uh, he was nice enough to come over and hand over the keys to us and show the boat. Um, and um, yes, yeah, so and and we were uh, we're departing tomorrow our flight. Okay, and we we should tell him uh, this podcast won't be released for probably a month. So I'm talking to you on on April sixth, and so you will be in uh, in Croatia living the dream by the time this is released. So just. Just let people know that yes. we're going to get into details on your boat purchase. And I've watched most of the video that you put out on YouTube, which was very informative. But since a lot of people don't necessarily would not necessarily find that video, uh, we're going to be talking about it. And, of course, we're going to put a link to that video in the show notes of this. So but uh, Kavanch, you're from Istanbul and uh, I've been to Istanbul many, many times. What part of Istanbul did you grow up in the the Asian or the European side? Well, that's an interesting story. Our house was in the Asian side, but um, all my schools, uh, starting from middle school, was all in um, in the European side. So I, I crossed the the continents every day, back and forth. <laughs> so would you take the ferry back and forth then? Yes, yes. Oh. Every morning and, and you know every evening coming back home. Okay. I, uh, I've spent most of the time when I've been in Istanbul, I've, I've stayed uh, near the Sultanahmet area. Um, yeah. The last time, uh, and the first time I stayed there, it was a fairly run-down area. It was cheap. And over the 10 or 15 years that I've been there, suddenly it got developed up and became expensive to be there, to go even stay in that area again. So I've, right. I've been disappointed 
in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I hear you. I've been I've been traveling to Turkey for 25 years, way back before I even met Kabanch. I had a lot of connections in Turkey. And I, to your point, I have seen the prices just skyrocket. <laughs> it's definitely a discovered uh, country now for tourism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the last time I actually stayed over near the uh, on the on the Asian side near the airport over there and I can't pronounce the name of that airport but uh uh but I stayed in a uh, a little hotel which was down on the waterfront and that morning I got up and I just wandered just started wandering down through the industrial shipbuilding areas down through there and it was like a kid in a candy store. I just loved walk, walking through the industrial <laughs> areas down there getting out of the tourist areas on the uh on the yeah. uh, European side and getting into the actual production area on the uh, on the Asian side, the boat building areas on the Asian side. You'd go into stores and you'd see, you know, a dozen motors for a for a uh, uh, a winch that I would have to search for in America to find, and they'd be sitting there right on the shelves, ready to be taken off. And and huge <laughs> chandleries and big. Yeah, I was just impressed. It was so much fun for a for a boat yeah. guy. So. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, let's get on to um, what was the what was the number that you guys came up with with the amount of money you needed to save to be able to do this? Help me here. Is it was oh, it two hundred and fifty? I think we probably three fifty. Yeah. yeah. Um, we uh, so France. We our you know our original plan was to do this for three years. Um, and I think we had maybe $150,000, dollars put aside for the boat and maybe another hundred and fifty dollars for living expenses. Um, but like uh, that, this extra year of waiting for COVID gives us another opportunity to save a little more. Um, so, and now we're feeling like, like maybe... Uh, we can we can um, uh, you know surf this wave this little longer and we don't have to come back in three to four years and and to be honest like all we know is what we hear from other people and how much you're gonna you're gonna spend um, and what your budget should look like uh, we haven't done this before so we may go there and find out it is way more expensive than we thought it is or we may find out it is way cheaper than we thought it is and depending on which way it goes. Uh, we may come back sooner, or we may not come back at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or open, open to anything. <laughs> so I think the, the the kind of rough budget was to have three thousand a month, and that would include you know boat repairs as as they come across, um, as well as living expenses. And then we didn't want to finance the boat; we wanted to pay cash, so we don't have to deal with that. Um, so yeah, we probably around 175 to 200, we thought at the most for the boat, um, if we needed a lot of upgrades after we bought a boat, um, and then about 3000 a month Yeah, moving forward. So we'll, we'll either last as long as the money runs out or, <laughs> or each other, maybe, we... <laughs> or each other. We'll maybe, maybe one of us will run out. <laughs> So you're in the, the Bay Area. Are, you, are both of you in the tech industry? Do you work in the tech industry? Yes. Yeah, we were both techies. Okay. So you've had good incomes to be able to save from. Now, can you leave? Yeah, it helps. Can you leave and then come back to your 
Are you working for somebody or are you freelancers? How do you how do you earn your living? Uh, we, we both were in the corporate world and work with corporations uh, here in the Bay Area, uh, mostly in the Silicon Valley. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I feel confident with our skill set and um, our work experience, we will be able to find something if we decide to go back to the workforce. Um, and you know, you may have a kind of a nice network that we built over the years and, you know, every work that we worked with and we left in good terms. So, um, I'm, I'm confident we will find something to, to come back to if we decide to do so. And we didn't sell our house either. We're renting our house. So that can be like, you know, if we're digging this cruising lifestyle and we want to extend, that's another asset we could sell down the road if we choose to, to, to uh, prolong the cruising. So we have a little flexibility there too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the uh, the boat purchasing procedure that you went through, um, and just go, yeah. go right from the very very beginning in as much detail as you can, because a lot of our listeners uh, would like to follow in your footsteps. So the more information you give them, the yeah. the better it is for them, as well as myself, who may buy a bigger boat at some point in time. <laughs> learn from you so yeah so Franz uh, before I start I, I want to let the listeners know that I am about to uh, uh, post a second video on YouTube in our channel that's going to go and the, and, and, the cha- and the channel is CB Sailing S-E-A-B-E-E Sailing S-A-I-L-I-N-G correct correct and that's the name of the boat CB okay uh, we're beekeepers as well as sailors. That's <laughs> apidarists, huh? Apidarists. Yeah. Then okay. Yeah. I kept bees until they all died on me. So oh, we had we had a bad year once. It's it it can happen for yeah. sure. I always yeah. collect. I always started my bees with a with a swarm that I would collect, and they oh. uh, they I've oh. never bought bees. I've always collected swarms, and then. Uh, and then my 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 bees swarmed at one point in time and left my my hive fairly weak and then then we had a bad winter and I still have the hives I just need to start all over again and find another swarm sometime. Well, we had all those things happen to us too. Bad <laughs> <That laughs> winter, swarms, all of it. Yeah, we even we even lost our bees in the in the California fires this oh, last yeah, year. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's true. How many how many hives did you guys have? I only had a couple hives. So. Yeah, just a couple. Yeah. And that was plenty for us being hobbyist beekeepers. Yeah, and I still got honey. And this my hives died probably three years ago, and I've still got honey that I haven't eaten. I'm still yeah. working on it. I just didn't eat as much honey as I as I could as I could produce. So. Yeah, honey never goes bad. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so that's why the name is C B B E E Sailing. That's that's good. Yeah, nothing to do with. Navy <laughs> folks, <laughs> a little different. Okay. Um, so, yeah, going back to your question. So um, I'm about to put a, a, a second video on the channel. And in that video, I'm going to go in, in depth of the buying process, uh, process itself. Uh, because just like you, when we first put the first video, a lot of viewers, um, they came back to us and they wanted to get more detail about like how does, how does it like, what is the process? Like, what are the steps that you took to get into uh, buying the boat? So that's the second video is going to be about, and I'm working on it right now. I got to tell you, it's a lot of work to put in a video together. 
That's why um, I do audio. <laughs> <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> uh, but you can talk about like your spreadsheets. He has some yeah. great tools that he's going to share out in that video. So he has some spreadsheets and um, checklists that people can, yeah. you know, click on and, and use for, for their, you know, shopping and research purposes. Right. So like I mentioned earlier, it's, um, you know, when we were planning for this, our sailing plan changed probably three times. Uh, throughout the five, six years. And it is really the sailing plan and the living arrangements that we wanted or that suits our needs define the boat that we wanted. So we kind of like um, narrow down our surf on the boat on uh, on those two aspects, the living arrangements and the sail plan. Um, so once we did that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we decided to get a uh, uh, you know, modern production boat that is well engineered and well designed. Um, and uh, from there, you know, I, I started like going into details on like what make and models are there. And then we settled down in a, in a uh, brand and make and model uh, that we really liked that we didn't never heard of. Uh, it's called Elon Yachts and it's an Elon Impression 45. Uh, that's the purchase that we did, and then that's the CB. Um, but uh, you know, if if I go back and do it again, I will probably be more be more broad and have at least three, four different options. Um, and then you know, from there, France, I start like building a database of all the boats that are available um, in the market. And I go to the yacht market and yacht all know that websites that post all the um, all the all the sailboats. And, you know, in the database I captured, like, when did the boats became first available in the market and um, how long has it been in the market and what was the initial offering price? Um, you know, did they drop the price over time? If so, how much? What are the options on the boat? What is the location of the boat? And I just I started digging into it. And then um, not that I want to go after every single boat. I just want to get some real market data. Um, and then... Um, as we're getting closer to the to the uh, to the date or you know, departure date, the purchase date, you know, we started narrowing down that database to come into like um, some um, top contenders, and you know, at that point, you you have a good idea of like if if a new book comes into the market, you have a range of prices, and if it is like overpriced and or underpriced, we can quickly tell because you have all that data in front of you. Um, so that kind of helped me figure out and gauge uh, which boats are uh, are uh, priced uh, competitively than the others. And um, as we were getting close, and I narrowed down my search, and I think we probably ended up with uh, like maybe twenty boats on the list. Twenty boats on the list uh, in Croatia, um, and. Like, um, ten were like legit, actually on the market. That was a yeah. little tricky thing we learned. Yeah, that is some important. were advertised and they weren't really for sale. Yeah, that is important, and I, I covered that in my uh, uh, in my video too. Uh, most of the boats, France, especially if you go into Greece, Turkey, or or um, Croatia, Croatian sailing destination, and especially if those are um, active charter boats, um, they have the listing up as a as a boat for sale. But when you reach out to the brokers or the sellers, you figure out that although they're for sale, they're not 
immediately available. So the, ex the expectations is for you to wait until the charter season is over, which is like like October or something. Um, so they you, the boats are available. You can purchase it, but you have to you wait have to wait months. until until the charter uh, season is over and and in order to get the delivery of the boat, which is kind of annoying. And if there's anybody who's who's interested in charter boats, they need to be really really careful about their timing of the purchase. And, uh, and more importantly, before going there, making sure that those boats are actually really available for um, sale and immediate sell. delivery. Mm -hmm. So how did you deal with this then? Well, that's what I did. So when I narrowed, narrowed down my search, before I go there, I start calling the brokers and I said, hey, you know, this is the time I'm going to be in, in, in Croatia. Um, and here's, I wanted to have the boat by May so we can start sailing this season. Um, and then the majority of them is like, oh, no, you can't do that. You need to wait until October. And then it's amazing that they didn't even want to talk. Like, hey, hey, maybe I'll give you a full asking price. Maybe I'll give you more than what you're asking for. They were not interested. So they were like, you have to wait. We can't, we cannot. Um, and for other obligations. Yeah, we cannot not honor the, the charter obligations. The, the boats are already in charter. Um, and uh, so you have to wait. And then that kind of. Uh, limited our options from 20 boats, we ended up with like six or seven by the time um, I was... Uh, On the ground in Croatia, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so when did you first get on the ground in Croatia? Was it uh, last year then, in, in uh, towards the end of the season last year then? So I was there in January, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, way too late. If you ask me if I do that again, I will probably do it in October. Uh, prior year, because we were hoping to get a boat on this trip and then start our adventure in the spring. And to Kavancha's earlier point, that was not possible with so many of the boats because they were already booked throughout the summer for the charter season. Yeah. So that was our, a big lesson learned on our part: was don't go over to the Med and start boat shopping, especially for um, charter boats. Yeah. Um, at that time of year, your your best bet is to get there in October. So you basically need to go the year before then and and after the season has ended so basically the charter yeah. boats have been put up they're not doing any more charters for the year and the ones that yep. they want to turn over are finally coming off the market so get over there or start lining them up before october so when you get there in october october exactly. they're available then okay and i would say to some extent that also applies to privately owned boats because you know the the owners of the privately owned boats they want to enjoy the sailing season too so again yeah. most boats really come on the market and ready for delivery or purchase in the fall yeah so but yeah, doesn't I, that doesn't that entail that so let's say you you go over in october you buy a boat uh, you close in uh say november now you've got to pay mooring for the for the whole winter until yep. you can get access to your boat. Is that the way it works? Correct. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that is true. Yep. Okay. All right. So just plan on uh, on a winter on the hard or in the water and paying for those fees until you can finally get on the boat. So that needs to be included in the part of the budget is the cost of mooring the boat until you can actually get on it the following spring then. Yeah. So... I think one aspect, Franz, is that those those boats they they usually come with the marina um, slip. Uh, the owners of those boats they they usually sign up for the full year or the um, half year, whatever the agreement oh, is. Oh, that's they come, a good point. They come up with, yeah. with the slip already, so 
So they might have, the previous owner might have already paid in advance for that that winter. That is, And that happened in our case too. Yeah, in our case, when we bought the boat, it came with the slip. Um, I can't remember for how long it was, but I think we had like maybe several, months. several months of like mm -hmm. uh, rebirthing. Okay, so uh, that's part of the negotiation process yeah. then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So continue on. Don't let me stop you. I just I just yeah. poke in with questions now and then. So that's, it. that's fine. So um, and then you know, Danielle, being an event planner and 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 um, high tech, she's she was really helpful to like um, um, like organize all the boats um, into like different zones and geographical zones, so I can go visit them in batches. Because uh, you arrived there, you know, I had like maybe seven or eight boats in my list. I didn't want to just like go all around the place. You know, I want to go there and visit three boats that are close together. Um, and that's what I did. And the other thing that I did was, uh, which is really helpful, is before I went there, France, I, I built a, a checklist for myself uh, of the things that I'm going to check on every single boat. Because... Um, when you get there, it's it's very like hectic. You know, I, I go there and visit like three different boats a day, and I spend like maybe an hour to two hours in every boat, and it's really t like easy to miss things. And and the other thing is like it's really easy to like get confused after like couple of days. Like by third day, you know, you you remember like anchor locker of like in a dirty anchor locker in a boat, but you don't remember which boat it was. Blurs. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the kitchen equipment, the, the galley, the head, and all that stuff, like, it starts start getting blurred. And then the checklist really helped me. You know, if I had, like, seven boats. I had, like, seven copies of the same checklist that I went there to the both of it and, I, you know, religiously go through my checklist to make sure uh, I'm not missing anything. Because you have limited time there. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you, you stay there for four days five days and you get into plane and come back and you don't want to be in a situation oh well, it's not mod x did i check that and how was that so if you go back to your checklist you can actually see what you did and what you saw in in any given boat so um you know i start um visiting the boats um uh, with my checklist and you know taking photos and, and videos which i put in the video uh, that i uploaded on youtube and, you know, every night I came back home to my uh, base and, and split uh, Croatia and kind of um, went through uh, notes. my notes and what I think about the boats and all that and made a decision about, like, this is a pass, this is not a pass, this boat was in good condition, this boat wasn't. And um, so that's, that's kind of the... Um, um, way I, I, I handled the, the uh, shopping experience in Croatia. So you you flew into Split, and tell us the geography yeah. that you covered from north to south in Croatia to go look at boats. Uh, let me open up the Google. So from Split, um, I went up north. Uh, I think that was the, my first day was in a little town called uh, uh, Primosten or Primosten. I can I don't know how to uh, pronounce it, but I think it's probably an hour north of uh, Split. It's an historic town, and there's uh, there's a marina there. 
And I think we had like maybe three boats in that marina. Uh, so I covered all those three boats and they were all uh, ex-chartered boats. Um, and then the one thing that I wanted to mention, Franz, is um, the pictures that you, you see on the, the postings, um, they don't do a good um, job of like what the condition of the boat is. Um, and the other thing that I find really surprising is, you, you know, when you're buying a boat, these are expensive piece of equipment, and, and there's not a lot of um, people make, doing a good job of, like, marketing them. Um, you know, there's usually, like, pictures are not, like, high quality. You know, it's, they're not, um, you can tell that somebody who's probably not qualified to do this is, is doing them. So uh, when you're looking at them on, online, you see a bunch of pictures, but you really see the right, the better picture when you actually go and see the boats. And that's exactly what happened to me. Like the boats that are on my list that I was like most excited about turned out to be the worst boats that I've seen in life in, in Croatia. Um, so I think that my first day, the three boats that I, I visited was kind of like the, the most exciting boats in my list, in my head before I get there. And, and at the end of the first day, I crossed all three of them uh, off my list, uh, which was disappointing and kind of a bad start because, um, you know, I had only like another four other options before before I was going to come back. Um, so um, the second day. So uh, so I'm I've, I'm I'm always on Google Earth as those are yeah. Google Maps as we're talking. And so I'm looking up at Promostin and there's a little a marina called Marina Kremik. Is that the one that you went yeah. to then? That's exactly what it is, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so continue, don't I just wanted to Yeah, okay. But in the second day, um my appointments were were uh, all in um, in downtown split. So I didn't really need to drive anywhere. I took a hike to the to the other side of the town. Um, so there I have seen, um, two boats. Uh, one of them was, um, what did I see two? Yeah, I see two boats. Um, one of them was, was a total disaster. Um, the other one was, um, actually in decent shape. And I was just uh, um, kind of excited about that, that boat. And it was on dry dock. And, and that was the first time I seen this boat on dry dock. Um, so I kind of get excited about that boat um, on the second day. And, um, you know, you following my checklist and all that. And I find some um, uh, things that they, they're, they're like either broken, but they're all cosmetic. So I thought like we can get, get it fixed for fairly easily. And um, at the end of the second day, I, um, I made an offer on, on one of the boats that was um, that was in my list, uh, and but I wanted to have it surveyed by uh, a marine surveyor. And um, that night, um, you know, I made the offer, and I think the, the next morning the the owner came back, and and then going back to my earlier point, our earlier point about charter boats being in charter fleets, um, the the owner the boat was so adamant about uh, his price and he didn't want to drop a penny and then I'm like this is weird like because you know I keep like hearing stories that when you buy a boat you can offer like 10% 20% less if the asking price and you negotiate 
And this guy was like, nope, I, I can't remember the price of the boat right now. I think it was maybe $130,000, $125,000. He didn't want to come yes. down like uh, euros, sorry. He didn't want to come down like come down like one one thousand euros. So just like, no, it's this is it, hundred and twenty six. I'm like trying to figure out and I'm working with the broker. Um and then the guy said, you know, it's well, this is what's going on. So uh well okay, so here's what happened. So he, the guy said, I'll either you give me my full asking price, which is hundred and twenty five thousand euros or hundred and thirty thousand euros, or he said, I will accept your offer, but you have to wait until the charter season is over. <laughs> I'm like, what? So, but like, you know, this guy is, is I don't know if he's a sailor or not. He's, he's a businessman. He's, he's doing his business and this is a business assets for him. And his, his explanation, his explanation to me was like, look, you, you, if you pay me my um, asking price now, I'll get my full asking price. If I take your offer after the charter season, I get my full asking price. So um, for him, it was like a win-win situation. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to invest that much money in a boat. But we didn't want to wait, too. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So that's, that's another reason. So, um, you know, I had to move on on that boat. Um, but uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a disappointing experience, too. And, and going back to my point, I, I like to emphasize for the viewers, the timing for the shuttle boats is extremely important as far as um, your leverage on negotiation, how much um, you can um, negotiate with the owners. Now, are you so, negotiating with the owners directly or are you negotiating through a broker or are you negotiating with the yacht charter company? Um, so the yacht charter company is not in the, um, in the scenery at all. So you, you're dealing with the broker or, uh, or the owner. Uh, directly in in this case, it was the broker, um, but you know the broker they, they can't make the call. Uh, they just like we use, you say whatever you say, they take it to the owner, and the owner says whatever he's, he or she needs to say, and they came back to you with that. Uh, with, so they just like the, the messen man. messenger mm -hmm. in the middle. Okay, okay, and this is in January. You're doing this, mm -hmm. correct? Okay, so. You know, three months, uh, four months after you probably should have been there. Then is what you're looking at. Then exactly. yeah, because now yeah. they have all these charters booked for the summer. Yeah, and uh, it's hard for them to get that. Yeah, even even with that boat that I made an offer, the uh, the broker I actually met the owner too, um, but the broker said that that particular boat had already one charter application for the season. But they said, if you buy the boat, they will be able to move to check that charter to some other boat. Okay. But you can see, if, like, if they have like several of these, how, how complicated it gets yeah, for them. It can get mm -hmm. complicated for them. Okay. Another good reason to go out at the end of the sailing season, uh, whenever all the boats are put up. So October is the key month to get over. If you're talking about Croatia, that's the key yeah. month to go over, and probably the same for Greece and Turkey as well. Then. Yeah. Yeah, Med. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and um, France, like right around um, holiday season, is, is the time that they start getting booked. The charters, yeah, that's true. So, like late December, you, all those boats are start being like chartered or being booked for the upcoming season. All right, so that took care of day two. You thought you had a boat, and uh, then it didn't happen. Then, 
Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's continue the adventure then. So the day three was, um, I went, yeah, I went all the way up to a town called Biograd. So if you're on the Google Earth, it's north between Split and Zadar. It's called Biograd Namuru. Okay. I think short name is Biograd. Biograd. Well, there's Zadar, and there's there's the island of Brock. Okay, there's Split. Okay, Biograd, B-I-O-G-R-A-D. Is that it? Yes. Okay, I'm zooming in then. Oh, yeah, big marina there. Yeah, so there was one boat that I was interested in, in that marina. And um, that was probably the, the least expensive boat and the oldest boat. And, um, and it, was, um, it wasn't the charter fleets her entire life. Um, so I went up there, and there was only one boat that I was going to visit. But oh man, it's like I think yeah, you know, that boat was like in the charter fleet for ten years. Um, I think it had maybe close to five thousand engine hours, and it was really really tired. Um, so it was a long drive to get there, and it was kind of disappointing. But um, the highlight of that trip was um, I I met this great guy through online forums, you know, and I was trying to. Um, learn more about the Elan boats. Yeah, learn more about the, get more information about the Elan boats. And then this guy was like an Elan owner, and he was so helpful. Like, he, he was, like, he went out of his way to, like, reply to my emails and give all the information I needed, take measurements in his boat and send it to me. Um, so, yeah, and then... On my trip, he he knew I was there, and he like drew maybe four or six hours to come over and meet me at Biograd. So I met him for the first time uh, in person um, after like corresponding via email all this all this months, and then I spent like some quality time with him and his son. Um, so that was kind of cool to get to know him more, uh, but the book was kind of disappointing. So. So where did he come from? Where I mean, he drove four or five um, hours to meet with you. Then, like, uh, let me figure out. Hold on. And anyway, um, we don't need to go into that. But I, that's very impressive uh, for somebody wait, to yeah. go, go to that amount of trouble. It's a big city. I can't remember the name of it now. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. Just, I was just curious, but that's that's you know when you actually meet somebody that's helping you, that's uh, that's important. Yeah, and that kind of happened throughout uh, my research too. And and I was really impressed with the sailing community. And every time I asked a question, there were like multiple people trying to help, um, which yeah, is the, which is kind of cool. The same thing happened to Kavanch in Turkey. He also looked at boats, the Elon boats in particular, in Turkey. Um, during the summer, and he same thing happened. He met a great guy that also owns an Elan in Istanbul, and they connected and went sailing together on his boat. Yeah. So that yeah. is a really special thing. Everybody tries to help each other. Yeah. So he was from Rijeka. Rijeka. R I 
uh, J. Oh, okay, up on the Istrian Peninsula, Rijeka. Yeah, Rijeka. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. That's a beautiful city up there. So, yeah, yeah. And that um, is quite a drive down there. That's a lot longer than you think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that isn't that nice? Like, yeah. Um, so anyway, so I went back all disappointed. Um, now I have like almost like nothing in my hands, and we <laughs> all the way down there. And um, so my last day, um, though, so I had uh, one boat uh, scheduled, and that was in um, in a little sleepy town called um, Slano. Well, it wasn't even scheduled, didn't you call? Oh yeah, we will, yeah, it's a good story. I, I kind of scheduled on the go uh, that boat. Um, so. So this is this is I'm gonna go back a little bit during my research uh, France and uh, this one boat came in the market um, you know this is way before I went to Croatia and all that stuff but in my um, database um, I noticed one boat came into the market and then it was really nice uh, it was um, it was uh, from the owner it was not a, a charter boat and it had a very unusual, very rare, uh, like two cabin configuration, which all the sports that I've been talking about so far, the four cabin, uh, you know, very European or charter oriented uh, uh, configuration. Um, so this spot had only two cabins, owner's version. Um, and, um, you know, it was kind of newer and it just like looked really good in the pictures. But, you know, given all this, um, uh, you know, it was out of our budget. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was expensive, but so, it looked it looked great. And this guy good. knew how to market it. Like all the other posts were just these crappy photos. This guy took really good photos. You could see how clean it was, but it just yeah. was out of our budget. So um, it was out of our budget, but I was kind of like kind of monitoring the, the corner of my eye, and um, I think at one point um, they dropped the price, and I reached out to the broker just to get a feeling of it. And, you know, it's like, um, I can't remember how much it was back then, how much they dropped it, but it was, even with the price drop, it was out of our budget. But I decided to reach out to the broker and get a feeling of it and see if they're willing to negotiate. So I reached out to the broker and it was, um, it was a British company. And, um, you know, during the conversation, they said, oh yeah, they, I don't think they're going to drop that much. So they're, you know, good luck with your search. But during the conversation, they mentioned the, uh, the boat is um, U.S. Coast Guard registered and the owner is actually a U.S. citizen. I didn't pay too much attention to it. Uh, I was more interested in the price. Um, but right around that time, our, our friends, they bought a new boat in um, East Coast, and they asked us to like come over to visit them and then do some sailing with them. And um, we went there, and we were sailing, and we were listening to their story. And um, uh, Nikki, our friend, she said, yeah, you know, when, when the boat came into the market, their boat, you know, it was U.S. Coast Guard registered. And she mentioned that if, if you go to the U.S. Coast Guard registry, you can type in the name of the boat, and the owner pops up. With their address. With their address. <laughs> I'm like, really? So I came back. Um, so I I did that. I went to the uh, U.S. Coast Guard register. You can see the name of the boat on the on the listing. The so photos, I, yeah. I typed the name, and, and then here, here's, here's this guy popped up. There is no email, just physical address. You know, there's no phone number. Um, so what I did was back then, 
Um, I, I wrote him a, a handwritten email. So, letter. you know, I'm sorry, letter. So I said, here's here's who we are, Danielle Kawanchal Sandler. This is our dream. This is what we wanted to do. We were interested in your boat. Um, so we want to get in touch. So, and I put my phone number, my email, and all that contact information in there. And um, I think maybe like four or five days later, he called me and we start chatting. Uh, I think we, we chatted for like 90 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. They were our first, very first conversation, not about the, like, the boat, but it's just like sailing experience and all that. So it was a great conversation. Um, so, you know, then we continued the conversation and I was trying to get a feeling of like how I can get the price down a little <laughs> more so we can, we can meet somewhere, but we weren't able to. You know, but we were still like kept in touch. Kept in touch, and he's he was so nice, and he said, if you have any questions about the boats, you know, I own one of them, so I, you can you can always come to me and ask questions about it, and I'll help you out. I said thank you very much, but we left it there. So when I was well, when I was in, in in split in my last day, and now I have like nothing in my hands. <laughs> I decided, like, I'm going to reach out to this guy and, and ask him, like, if, if I can go there and like, at least see his boat. Um, so I did that, um, and he responded back to me and said, I'll call the marina right now and let you know that you're coming and they will give you the keys. I said, awesome. So my last day, that's the story <laughs> for, for my last day. So totally unplanned, um, and I, I'm, I'm glad I have that extra day. Um, so I drove from Split to, to Solano to check his boat. And Solano is about 45 minutes north of Dubrovnik, the little so it's village between, there. Yeah, it's between Split and uh, Dubrovnik, if you're looking at the, uh, the maps. Yeah, I've been there. That's uh, an ACI marina huh? there, right there. Okay, yeah. it's a beautiful marina, yes. Yeah, yeah pretty new. So, oh, cool. So here's a, here's a quick tip for everybody, though, that I didn't know. And I was lucky in a way. When you're driving from Split to Slano, they're both Croatian countries. You actually cross the Bosnian border twice. Yeah, it's a pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like a border crossing, and I feel like, am I going to cross the bridge? Like, do I need to pay tolls here? Like, what? I didn't, I didn't realize it was a, it was a border crossing. So, but thankfully, I had my passport with me, so I was able to do it. Because if I didn't. I didn't have time to go back to split and get the passport and drive back. It was my last day. Anyway, so um, I go to Solano. Um, you know, I got the keys for the boat, and um, and then by this time I've been talking to this guy for a while, and, and he, he he wrote me. He's like, "Hey, and you're on the boat. Can you please charge batteries and start the engine and all that stuff?" So he hasn't been in his boat for a while. So um, I did that for him. But the boat was just like super nice. It was it was almost brand new. I think he had only like 600 hours. No, I think less than that, maybe 500 hours on the engine. Like barely used. Uh, he's um, he's an American. He only went there in the summer to use his boat uh, for like I don't know four or five months, and, and you know the rest of the yeah, time it was in a very nice marina, very well taken care of. And I, you know, immediately I fell in love with it, like um, right away. And I go into my checklist, I couldn't find anything in the boat. Like, just, <laughs> Nothing was wrong. <laughs> and you, I went downstairs. It smelled like a new, new boat, like you see in in the in the boat shows. So 
I'm like, okay, this is great. This, this is going <laughs> And after seeing all the bad boats, this was just like the heavens were opened. It was just yeah. this wonderful moment. Yeah. Yeah, but um, so you know, and and then I'm like, okay, I think this is gonna be it. And so I get into the plane and didn't really didn't need to think about it much. And I came back and I talked to the owner right away. I said, hey, I I want to see all these boats. I've seen like six or seven boats and I've seen yours and then that's just, there's no comparison. We'll uh, find more money for our budget. <laughs> uh, and I want to, you know, I want to, I want to make a deal. So we, we kind of like, um, from where we left, we, we went right in the middle. And I got to tell you, like we, I eliminated the, the broker. Now I'm talking to directly to the owner. I kind of saved some money off there too. Um, and then he was nice enough to come right in the middle like where we left off. And then um, I think it was in, was it like February that we signed the agreement? The purchase agreement, yeah. yeah. And the other thing I think was really important was th this this gentleman, he just loved his boat so much and that's why he took such great care of it. And he he really felt that Kavanch and I would do the same thing because we just, you know, so appreciated um, mm -hmm. all the little details and the upgrades he made. and. That's the thing too, when you're boat shopping, especially when you're dealing with a privately owned boat um, that's been kept really well, that's their baby. So they, they want that legacy to get passed over yeah. to people that are gonna care for it and love it the same way they did. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were fortunate uh, in a way that he, he, all, you know, he was willing to work with us throughout the whole, whole process because in February we signed the agreement and I put the deposit down for the boat and then here comes March, um, the COVID hits, and then I can't travel there, he can't travel there, we can't do anything. Uh, but I still have to do the sea trial and, the, and the, the marine survey on the boat that I cannot do. And, um, uh, and we, we kind of pushed everything uh, down the road uh, up, until, up until September, and he was fine with it, you know. Um, nothing changed, and, then, and we made an amendment to the agreement saying that we, I'm going to close the deal later on. Um, and um, here comes September, Croatia opened the borders for Americans, um, and then we we decided to go there, and, and the previous owner, Terry, he was like, I'm going to come too. That's and then, great. Yeah, so... Terrific guy. So, so he, he, he flew, um, we met him in Istanbul airport on our way to Croatia. And got our PCR test done at the get, airport there. Yeah, get our COVID PCR test done, and... We flew to Croatia all together. Uh, we get to the boat all together. Uh, we did the sea trial and this marine survey together. And he helped me. Um, and then, yeah, do he all was the, like bottom painting with us. All, all, all the maintenance. <laughs> he was doing all the, yeah, all the he showed me how to make the maintenance and change things and this and that. Um, he stayed with us for uh, three days. or four days uh -huh. and listen to this. He gave us the key of the boat before we finalized the seal and a deal before I we paid the rest of the deposit. He gave us the keys, keys of the boat and we enjoyed the boat and you know, and I to ourselves for, for like a week. For a week before um, and, and then we get back and you know we, we finalized the deal and we thank him so much. You know, and we're still good friends and we talk to him uh, all the time. Well, that's great. That's great. So you talk to me, you said you searched in Istanbul, you searched uh, other places, but really it came down to Croatia where you finally decided to look. Uh, yeah. How did you come to that conclusion? So um, 
Yeah, Croatia was my second trip. My I first flew to to Turkey to check out uh, a number of books in Turkey, which I didn't document, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but this particular book that I'm referring to was the inventory was uh, more in Croatia than than it was in Turkey or Greece. They're produced in Slovenia. But they're produced in Slovenia. And then the second thing is that if you look at the pricing of the boats, um, especially for um, uh, modern production boats, um, according to my research, and I'm not an expert, but um, they have the they have the best prices uh, compared to everywhere else I looked in Europe. Croatia does. Croatia does. So, um, and then uh, you know our. When when I came back and I start looking at the Croatia, like everything looks, there's more options in Croatia and the, the prices are better in Croatia. So, and I decided to go to Croatia as my second boat hunting trip, um, which was successful. Thank, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, the logistics then. So y- you bought a U.S. documented vessel. What mm-hmm. are the advantages and disadvantages in that you see from having a U.S. vessel versus, let's say, a Croatian vessel or a French vessel or whatever you want to look at? Yeah. So in our case, it couldn't be easier. And that was kind of the, the, the most like scary part that I lost sleepover because I you hear a lot of horror stories when people getting stuck by like uh, deflagging or reflagging their boats. Uh, in our case. We are a U.S. citizen, and we bought a U.S. flag boat and registered by U.S. Coast Guard in foreign land. Um, the process couldn't be any simpler. So it was just like buying a used car from somebody. Um, the previous owner, um, you know, signs off on the on the title um, with the Coast Guard with the new owner's information. Uh, you pay the registration fees with the U.S. Coast Guard. And uh, I don't think it's like it took us maybe a month or so to get the new uh, registration. Well, we were very fortunate because going back to our pal Terry, he had a connection at the oh. U.S. Coast Guard. <laughs> and yeah. so he actually called on our behalf and kind of helped rush things along. So, again, we were super blessed and fortunate in that regard. Yeah. But um, even if it wasn't that, that wasn't in the picture, I felt it like it was a very uh, straightforward process, mm-hmm. and um, and by doing that, it's um, since it's U.S. flag, you're not uh, uh, subject to VAT taxes in Europe. Um, uh, since since the boat is in uh, since the boat is not in um, U.S. waters, not you're not subject to U.S. taxes. So it's, you're kind of in a tax-free uh, situation. But one one caveat is um, with the EU status, the VVAT status, that's something called the temporary importation, with short of like the, they, I think it's called TI. Um, you have only 18 months. And this is, this is really important for anyone who's listening. Um, the boat actually have 18 months to uh, be in uh, EU waters. At the end of the 18 months, the boat needs to leave EU waters and needs to be re-imported back to EU to reset the clock. Then by saying re-importing, that's a fancy word to just to leave the waters of EU waters and coming back. Um, 
So, but that status is tied to the boat, not the ownership. Uh, meaning that uh, by change of ownership, this, the clock doesn't start uh, restart. So, which means in our situation, the boat was in TI status for six months, and we we take ownership of the boat. The, the clock didn't restart, so it was still 16 months. And then we, now we are back in United States, all excited that we have any boat. Uh, we get a, an email from the marina, and they're saying, like, well, what are you going to do with this TI status? And we were like, what? The TI status, the boat needs to leave in two months. Otherwise, you will be subject to VAT taxes, which is can be 20% or more of the boat's value. It's a huge money. Um, what we did is we were lucky that we made some connections through Terry, the previous owner in Croatia, and then you reach out to those people and they said, yeah, there's this person, a professional skipper, who can actually help you out. So uh, we ended up hiring that skipper um, and then he took our boat uh, from our marina, uh, took it outside of the US, uh, EU waters and bring it back and restart the clock on our behalf. So, so that's something. So important. that's what I've heard. And so you're confirming that this actually works. And I've heard this from a few people now that all you have to do in Croatia is clear out of Croatia, go out into uh, international waters, which I think is, what, 12 miles out or 15 miles out, and uh, stay right. out there and then come back in and clear back into Croatia. Is that what you did? Correct. Okay. So, um, well, I got to tell you, I don't know what he did. I wasn't there, <laughs> but, but he did reset the clock. But that's what... I um, what he told me is that you just you don't need to check into another country. No, another- that, that, yeah, that's that that was new to me, and that's what I've heard. So in in the past, I've always gone down to Montenegro and started yeah, to climb a- clock over yeah, that yeah. way. But now I've been told that I, all you have to do is go into international waters, and mm-hmm. uh, and also I've been told, and I've found this from Noonsight, that they've stopped the clock due to COVID right now. So, oh. yeah, that's uh, that's in noon site. And they say, we understand the problem. You can't get over here to move your move your boat out. We've stopped the clock. And uh, and so I I referred to this specific clause uh, and sent an email to the marina and an email to the uh, for me. My boat's in Italy, the Italian uh, place. I don't remember who it was, but. And said, listen, uh, I've been trying to come over to my boat. I can't go. I can't come over. I can't take my boat out. And I expect an extension. And and I don't think they're being too serious about it right now because because they understand that you can't get over there anyway. So that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That was in noon site that I read about it. And they gave you the specific clause that they're they're letting you get uh, avoid it because I'm like you. My boat's been over there for more than 18 months now. And I would love to get over there and get it out, but I can't. I still can't get into Italy right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. So for you, you, you can fly into Croatia. Croatia is open to Americans then. It is. And we just found out the other day they changed one of their entry requirements. So if you're vaccinated, which Kavanch and I are now, um, and you have your vaccination card, they will accept that um, when you when you enter. Or if you don't have that, then you need to come with a um, negative PCR test under 48 um, hours old. Okay. So as long as you have that card, which is not, I don't think it's a universal card, but it may be. 
uh, yeah. you, you're good to go then, huh? Yep, and they say that all the vaccinations, so whether it's the Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer, Moderna, any of those are accepted. Just okay. show that, that card. That's great. So you're heading yeah. over for the adventure. Tell us what your plans are for this summer then. Well, you know, <laughs> we, don't know yet. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't gone that far. <laughs> okay. You're going to get on the boat and get it in the water and then decide from there then, huh? Yeah. So, we, you know, we were, I mean, we're yeah. dying to get on the boat. It's been too long. Um, but, you know, it's uh, we have the, the marina um, contract up until when it's... For about um, a year. For another year. So I think we're probably going to be, like, doing some island hopping and exploring um, around that area. Like, you have Miet and uh, Korkula, this... Um, and uh, maybe we go up to oh, yeah, we're gonna, we'll go, or something. We'll go up north, too. Yeah. So what we decided to do, Franz, is instead of, because of COVID and it's just hard to do the border crossings um, right now, we decided to, to spend the first year sailing extensively throughout Croatia. Um, we're going to apply for a 12-month um, temporary residency permit when we're there. We've done some research, and it, based on the research, it looks like we can qualify for that. So um, if that all works out, that'll be great because then we can, you know, stay there for 12 months, not have to do the 90 days in, 90 days out, and then just, you know, focus on, you know, the sailing around Croatia. And then the home base will be our marina in Slano. Um, but obviously, we, we don't want to stay there the whole time. We want to do some okay. proper stuff. So is that, is that visa specific to Croatia or is that to the EU in general? It's specific to Croatia. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, if I can get over there, I may swing by and say hello to you because I'll be coming yeah. right down through there at some point in time. So you better. In touch. Yeah. Are you um, are you planning on um, going to your boat this year, uh, Franz? If if uh, conditions allow. Yeah, I'm. I, in fact, I told my daughters this morning. I said, "Give me the date you want to come over, and I'll I'll make my schedule uh, for a week before that." Now, I understand, and this is just information I got last week, that Americans can fly into Rome and Milan on American Airlines uh, only if you have a PCR test, and then they test you when you Mm -hmm. get there, and then you can travel freely throughout Italy. Now, I don't know how hard it's going to be to go from Italy over to Croatia, which is where Mm -hmm. I would be planning on going. Uh, I'd probably stop by Venice for a little while, and then after Venice, I'd head over to uh, to Croatia. And that would supposedly, in theory, start the time clock over because now I've left Italy, gone into international waters, and cleared into Croatia. Absolutely. That That's what I would think. So yeah. uh, so we'll see. But it- Italians are so lackadaisical on clearing in and clearing out. Uh, <laughs> you know, I went to the Marine. I said, do I need to do anything? Ah, you don't need to do anything. So I don't know. <laughs> We'll see what happens when I get over there. So, <laughs> oh, I hope you make it over there. Yeah, sooner there for sure. Yeah, I mean that's my plans, uh, and I'm thinking I'll probably be over there uh, sailing probably in the first week in July. Uh, not sailing, getting on the boat and having to replace the batteries and everything else that I have to do because it's been sitting idle for two years now. Uh, mm. And hopefully not too much trouble. Fortunately, I had a full cover on the boat, so it shouldn't have aged too much. But uh, it still ages when you're sitting there. And, right. But I, I've I got to explore the idea of going to 
what batteries I'm going to be putting in. I'm, I want to, I'm looking at the lithium batteries and uh, I'm going to do a little more research on that because that's a big deal on boats. And they say they are cost effective if you hold on to the boat long enough versus the AGM batteries. But uh, that's a, something I need to learn about in the future. Well, we've been going on about an hour and 10 minutes now, and I think that's long enough. Uh, yeah. We will put links to your um, your YouTube channel and keep in touch, okay? All right. Awesome, Prime. Thank you Franz. so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining me. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Cheers. All right. Cheers. The website for Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. <laughs>